0: Why are we here and where are we going? That's the question before us today and next Sunday as we discover or perhaps rediscover the purpose of the church. Now, why do we need to explore this question together? Well, could you imagine with me for just a moment sports without a goal? You go home and you turn your TV set on to watch the football game and there's the kickoff. And you're looking at the screen and all of a sudden you realize, wait a minute, something's missing here. There's no goal line and there's no goal post. How do you play the game? Or you're watching your favorite basketball team play and you notice there's no baskets. (laughs) They're just dribbling the ball all over the place. Or maybe you're a hockey fan and there's no nets to put the puck into. Or you're a NASCAR fan and there's no finish line for the race. I mean, it's pretty important that athletes know why they're here and where they're going when they compete. Or imagine with me, travel without a destination. You get on board the airplane and You take off, and you're in the air, and the captain comes on and says, Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to flight 1234. We're on our way today. Well, we really don't know where we're on our way to. We just thought we'd fly around up here for a while. I mean, that's crazy. Or you get on a cruise ship, and you you take off, and you're looking for the itinerary, and The crew tells you there is no itinerary. Well, where are we going? We don't know where we're going. There's a hurricane out here. We're going to try to avoid it, but we don't know where else we're going. That's nuts. Or maybe you get in your car and you you take off and suddenly you look at each other and you go, so where are we going? I don't know. I just thought we'd take a drive. (laughs) For how long? I don't know. We'll just drive around. (laughs) I mean, that's crazy. It's pretty important that you know why you're here and where you're going as you travel, isn't it? Or imagine with me business without a market. There's no product. There's no customers. There's no marketing plan. Of course, that means there's no profit. I mean, can you imagine? It's pretty important to know why you're here and where you're going if you're conducting business, isn't it? And so then imagine with me a church without a purpose. You know, the people get together on Sunday. It's all nice and warm. We have a great greeting time, you know. and we, we, we just love being around each other. And somebody says, well, why are we here? Well, I don't know. We've just always done it, you know. And, and so let's just get together on Sunday and let's, you know, you know kumbaya. And, and let's just have a good time, you know. And there's just no purpose. I mean, what is that? It's pretty important that we know why we're here and where we're going individually and congregationally as Christians. Now the truth is, many churches do have a so-called purpose that determines what they do. Whether that purpose is intentional or unintentional. For instance, some churches are driven by tradition. If you ask someone from a tradition-driven church, why are you here and where are you going? They'll tell you that they just want to be the way it's always been. Their goal is to perpetuate the past and its traditions and rituals. One of the phrases you'll often hear in a tradition-driven church is, we've always done it this way. And uh, if somebody proposes change, then it's quickly rejected with this phrase, we've never done it that way before. Some churches are driven by personality. If you ask someone from a personality-driven church why are you here and where are you are going, they'll tell you it all depends upon the pastor or the group of leaders who hold the reins of power in the church. Such a church, in fact, is often led by a dynamic, charismatic personality, a radio, television guy. One of the questions you'll often hear in a personality-driven church is, what does he or she, the leader, want? And then some churches are driven by finances. <laughs> If you ask someone in a finance-driven church why are you here and where are you going, they'll tell you it all depends on the resources that are available. Their greatest concern is cash flow. The most heated debates in that church are over the budget. In a finance-driven church, the guiding question always is, well, how much will it cost? Some churches are driven by programs. If you ask someone from a program driven church, why are you here and where are you going? They'll talk all about the ministries and the program that their church has to offer. It seems that the goal is to maintain as many existing programs as possible while adding as many new programs as possible. And then these programs become sacred cows, you know, and they're never to be changed or deleted. Some churches are driven by buildings. If you ask someone from a building-driven church why are you here and where you're going, they'll take you on a tour of their property and their facilities. <laughs> and usually building-driven churches, in fact have amazing facilities, but paying for and maintaining those facilities is sapping energy and resources from other areas. Some churches are driven by events. <laughs> If you ask someone in an event-driven church why are you here and where you're going, they'll hand you a copy of their church newsletter or their calendar. Their goal, it seems, is to keep people busy with one event, one activity, after another, after another, after another. And attendance or numbers becomes the measuring rod of success. And one of the questions you'll often hear in an event-driven church is, so what's next and how can we make it bigger and better? Some churches are driven by seekers. If you ask someone in a seeker-driven church, why are you here and where are you going, they'll proudly proclaim that everything that they do is to reach the unreached, the seeker, we call them. And one question drives the total agenda for the seeker-driven church, and that is, what do the unchurched want? So why are we here? And where are we going? At Springville Church of the Nazarene. What drives our church? Well, I pray that it is our desire to be a church that is driven by purpose. God's immutable and eternal purpose. Read Proverbs 19 and verse 21 out loud with me. Would you read this with me? Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Oh, amen. I hope that's true. You see, it is the Lord's purpose that must prevail. God's purpose for His church must be our number one priority. A strong, healthy church is a church that is driven by purpose. And so if you were to ask me why are we here and where are we going, my reply would be that we're here to fulfill God's purpose and we're going where He is leading us as a congregation. And so this morning and next Sunday morning, let's spend a few moments together reviewing our purpose, why we're here, and renewing our vision. Where are we going? Now, if you've read, quite frankly, any of Rick Warren's books on the purpose-driven life or the purpose-driven church, much of what you're going to hear may sound vaguely familiar. But that's okay, because I want you to understand that truth is truth. Okay? Okay? God's purpose is God's purpose, and we would do well to review our purpose and to renew our vision together as a church. And therefore, in these two lessons, Discovering God's Purpose for the Church, we're going to do our best to answer these five questions this morning and next Sunday morning. First of all, why does the church need a clearly defined purpose? Second, what is God's purpose? purpose for the church, as it's revealed in the Bible. Third, how can we apply this purpose, keeping balance at Springville Naz? Fourth, where should we apply this purpose at Springville Naz? And then fifth, who is affected by this purpose? So let's begin with the first question. Why does the church need a clearly defined purpose? Well, perhaps you're familiar with the King James Version's rendering of Proverbs 29 and verse 18. You've heard this verse. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Now, the New International translates it this way Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. I kind of like the Common English Bible. I think they capture the essence of the verse the best. When they say, there, When there's no clear directive word from God, the people get out of control. <laughs> See, where there's no clearly spoken direction, no word from the Lord on something, then everybody kind of just does their own thing, don't they? And it becomes chaos. And that's true, unfortunately, in many churches today. Paul posed this question, 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 8, If the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? (laughs) I mean, back in those days, of course, in the Bible, they called the soldiers to the front line. They called them to battle, if you will, by the trumpet. (laughs) Now, if the trumpet player gets up and doesn't know his notes, (laughs) if the trumpet player plays some weird tune that he's just going to do his own thing, how's anybody going to know that they're supposed to report for duty? How's anybody going to know that there's a battle going on? And the fact is, there is a battle going on. And that's why it's so necessary for us that the call to battle be clear and concise and the battle plan, the strategy, must be clearly defined. You see, knowing and understanding God's purpose for His church accomplishes several things for us, I think. First of all, it builds morale. It really does. It builds morale. I mean, there's nothing quite like working together side by side as a team toward one common goal. Second, it reduces frustration. A clear purpose defines what to do and what not to do so that everyone isn't going off in their own direction, doing their own thing. Third, it allows concentration. Focus, you see, equals power. And we must be sure not to get distracted by side issues. Side issues are a big thing in the church. And I always try to say the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. (laughs) Think about that. (laughs) It allows cooperation. I believe people are anxious to get on board when there's a clear vision and direction. And then it assists with evaluation. (laughs) I mean, how do we evaluate whether or not we are really being quote-unquote successful? here at Springville Church of the Nazarene. Well, it's not by comparing ourselves with other churches, folks. No! It's by asking ourselves, are we fulfilling God's purpose? And then finally, I think most importantly, it honors God. It honors God because we are in fact doing what God has purposed us to do as a church. Now that leads us to our second question, and that is, what is God's purpose for the church as it's revealed there in the Bible? Well, please understand this. The Bible is clear and concise concerning what God intends for His church to be and do. Write this down in your notes. It's not our job to design the church's purpose, but to discover it. It's not our job to design the church's purpose. That's already been done by God Himself. It's our job to discover it and then, of course, to do it. (laughs) And in that light, I'm not going to be talking today and next week about some new, recently discovered purpose for the church No. God's purpose for His church is no secret. The purpose of the church has been clearly outlined in the New Testament from the very beginning of the church. I mean, you read about it in the book of Acts. You see it mentioned again and again throughout Paul's letters in the New Testament. But, but it's interesting to me that in fact Jesus Himself spoke of the church's purpose even before the church began. He laid the foundation. He answered the question, why are we here in His teaching? And I believe that there are two key Scripture passages. The Great Commandment in Matthew 22 and the Great Commission in Matthew 28 that in fact summarizes all of the whole of Scripture regarding the purpose of Of the church. So I want us to look at them together. If you have your Bible open, Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 through 40, the great commandment. Now, Jesus has just been asked, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of them all? And Jesus replied, verse 37, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets, all of Scripture, everything in His book, hangs on these two commandments. The Great Commandment. Flip over a couple of pages then to Matthew chapter 28 and the Great Commission. These are... Jesus' final words before He ascended into heaven. These are the marching orders for the church. As He's getting ready to leave before He comes back again, this is what He wants us to be about. He says in verse 19, "...therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end." of the age. Now, from these two well-known scripture passages, God's purpose for his church is clearly outlined and simply it is fivefold in nature. First of all, back to the great commandment, Jesus said, "Love the Lord your God." That's the purpose of worship. We are to love God supremely with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. Everything we do and say and think, every attitude and motive of our heart, everything is an expression of our love to God as we worship Him. And He alone is worthy of our worship. Then Jesus says the second greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. That's the purpose of ministry. Ministry. Learning to love God our neighbors, putting the towel over our arm, washing the feet, putting the needs and the interests of others before our own, loving them, ministering, serving. Then you go over to the Great Commission and the first thing Jesus says is go and make disciples, which is the purpose of evangelism. We're to go and we're to make new followers of Jesus Christ. Share the good news with them. Baptizing them, which is the purpose of fellowship, bringing them into the fellowship with Christ and with the church, and then teaching them to obey everything, which is the purpose of discipleship, helping them grow in Christ, teaching them all of the things that Jesus Himself taught. Now, that's a lifelong process right there of maturity. Now, as I researched this purpose of the church this past week, I was amazed at, at how many different models there are posted online <laughs> to portray God's fivefold purpose. I mean, it just goes on page after page after page when you use Google to search this. One church, for instance, uses the five M's Magnify, which is the purpose of worship, Ministry. Mission, which is evangelism, of course. Membership, which is fellowship. And maturity, which is discipleship. Another church uses the five G's. Glorifying, which is worship. Giving, which is ministry. Going, which is evangelism. Gathering, which is fellowship. And growing, which is Discipleship. And yet another church expands on God's fivefold purpose this way. The church grows stronger through worship. The church grows broader through ministry. The church grows larger through evangelism. The church grows warmer through fellowship. The church grows deeper through discipleship. I kind of like that. I thought that was pretty good. Then there are the various pictures. (laughs) Believe me, there were lots of charts and graphs and pictures of the church's purpose. I just chose a few of them to give you an illustration. This one, that just kind of shows you, you know it all begins with worship. You were planned for God's pleasure. Then there's fellowship. You were formed for God's family. Discipleship. You were created to become like Christ. Ministry. You were shaped for serving God. And evangelism. You were made for a mission. One church I found had these symbols. Only four of them, but yet five purposes in them. Celebration, community, communication, and cultivation. The cross for worship. Then the heart for love, loving your neighbor, but also loving one another. That's the fellowship part that's in there. And then the globe for sharing. That's evangelism. And then the tree for growth or discipleship. Then, of course, there's the baseball diamond. I've shown you this one before in the past, but we'll actually come back to this one next week a little bit in our explanation as we go further with this. But you start at home, of course, and you're up to bat. And Knowing Christ brings you into fellowship with Him and with others. Then growing in Christ takes you to second base, which is discipleship. And serving Christ takes you to third base, which is ministry. And sharing Christ brings you home. You're a home-run Christian. That's all about evangelism. And notice the right in the heart of all that is worship. Do you notice that? Worship is the core, it is the center out of which all of these things flow. I like that. Again, we'll come back to that a little bit more next week. There's another chart. The arrow going upward shows growth or discipleship. The heart for worship. The globe for mission or evangelism. The handshake for fellowship. We like to do that one. The the cross for ministry. We're bearing our cross. We're, we're sacrificing ourselves, dying to ourselves to serve others. Now, actually, we can just go on and on and on, believe me, and on and on with examples, each representing the same fivefold purpose with various words and illustrations. What I like about all this is the fact that it shows you really there are only these five purposes. However they're explained, however they're illustrated, whatever words we may use, they're really coming back to these five things that we're talking about. I think it helps us to remember why we're here and where we're going. But I want us to just come back one more time to these two key Scripture passages as our primary source for God's purpose, beginning with, of course, the great commandment. In Matthew 22, 37-40, where Jesus first of all says, Love the Lord your God. The first command is all about worship. We are here to worship. It's why we were made. That's why God created us, to worship Him. In all that we do, all that we say, all that we think, everything that we are, the motives and the intents of our heart, everything is an expression 24-7 of worship. To God, and so the church must be about worship. And then Jesus says, "Love your neighbor as yourself. We must be also about ministry. We must be about serving others, loving our neighbor. Church doesn't happen inside these walls. Church happens out there. It's when we leave this place that the real business starts of ministering to those around us, putting the towel on our arm, you know, washing the feet of our neighbors as Jesus was willing to do, being the servant that Jesus Christ Himself was. Then in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, He begins, Go and make disciples, which again is the purpose of evangelism. It's, it's we're to go. Notice, we're not, we're not to put up a building and say, Come. <laughs> we are to go into the world with the good news. Yeah, we come together for other reasons, to learn and to grow and to worship and all that as a corporate body. But really, all of this is so that we can go, so that we can get out of these walls and we can make a difference in this world with the good news of Jesus Christ. Baptizing them. Now, in all that baptism symbolizes... We we need to do a sermon on this sometime soon. (laughs) But in all the baptism symbolizes Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection; our own death, burial, resurrection to new life. The washing or the cleansing—that's you know in the symbolism of baptism. I mean, baptism means a whole lot. Let's just say that. But in all that it symbolizes, the act of being baptized is always closely tied to fellowship. Because baptism portrays our coming into connection with Christ. But not only our coming into connection with Christ, our coming into connection with other believers, doesn't it? And you can't separate the two. Don't tell me you can You can't come into a relationship with Jesus without also at the same time coming into a relationship with every other believer who names Jesus Christ as the Lord of his or her life. So it's all about connection. It's about community. It's about koinonia. It's about fellowship. And then teaching them to obey everything is the purpose of discipleship, which is a life lifelong process, of course. We never, ever arrive on this one. We're always growing. We're always learning more. We're maturing in our relationship as we're becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. Now again... I think it's important that Springville Church of the Nazarene is being driven by this fivefold purpose and that we are pursuing worship, ministry, evangelism, fellowship, and discipleship in balance. Hear me on this. In balance. We need to focus on all five of these. Worship, ministry, evangelism, fellowship, and discipleship in equal balance. Now, unfortunately, it's real easy for churches... To get out of balance. (laughs) And there are, in fact, there is, in fact, this tendency for churches to put an emphasis on one of these five almost to the exclusion of the other four. And when that happens, here's the result. I put a chart in your notes, it's up here on the screen as well. First of all, you can have the experiencing God church. That's what I like to call it. Where the primary focus is on the purpose of worship, the leader's role is to be a worship leader, the member's role are to be worshipers. The key term that's used in a church like this is the term feel. The central value is personal experience. The most popular tools are music and technology and prayer. But the whole overemphasis, you see, is on worship. Then there's what I call the social conscience church, where the primary focus is on ministry. The leader's role is to be a reformer. The member's role is to be activist. The key term here is care. The central value is justice and mercy for all mankind. And the most popular tools are petitions and protests and placards. Then there's the soul winning church whose primary focus is on the purpose of evangelism. The leader's role is to be an evangelist. The member's role is to be witnesses. The key term here is save or salvation. The central value is always decisions for Christ, decisions for Christ. And the most popular tools are attraction events like crusades, visitation ministry such as learning evangelism explosion or the four spiritual laws or the Roman road or whatever other tool you might use and of course in the church itself the altar call is the primary focus of the worship service then there's the family reunion church the primary focus here in this church is on fellowship the leader's role is to be a chaplain The members' roles to be family members, the key term is belong. The central value in this church is loyalty and tradition. The most popular tools used by this church are the fellowship hall or the family life center and, of course, potlucks and other get-togethers and gatherings of the people. Then there is the Bible classroom church. The primary focus here is on discipleship. The leader's role is to be an instructor, the member's role is to be students. The key term that's used always is know. How much do you know? The central value is Bible knowledge, and the most popular tools are things like notebooks and seminars and classes. And I went through that list, could you think of some churches? <laughs> I did. Now again, I think it's important for Springville Church of the Nazarene to pursue this fivefold purpose, worship, ministry, evangelism, fellowship, and discipleship in balance. As we do so, we become a church that is driven by purpose. And our primary focus then will be on all five of these purposes in balance with each other. The leader's role, that's me, is to be an equipper The member's role is to be ministers. You are the ministers of this church. The key terms we're going to use are going to be things like be and do. We want you to be like Christ. We want you to do what Christ has done. The central value that we're going to pursue together is Christ-like character. And the most important tool that we will use will be a life development process by which we can chart how we're doing in relationships. To our task and our purpose. Now, we'll talk more about that one next Sunday morning. Okay? Speaking of next Sunday, we'll conclude this two part lesson on discovering God's purpose for the church by answering the last three questions How can we apply this purpose, keeping balance here at Springville NAS? Where should we apply this purpose at Springville NAS? And then, who, us, are affected by this purpose that God has laid out. And I think the second lesson will provide us with some more nuts and bolts for our application individually as well as congregationally. Why are we here and where are we going? That's the question before us today and next Sunday as we discover or perhaps rediscover the purpose of the church together. Now here's how I want to close today. I have some life verses. Do you have any of those? You know, ones that you've memorized that are really special to you, that kind of guide you, that kind of, you know, you hold them up as as, as special verses. Well, I have one that's kind of odd. I'm just going to tell you. It's an odd verse. Acts 13 and verse 36. In fact, I want you to read it out loud with me. Would you do that? When David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he died. (laughs) you look at that verse, you go, that's a weird verse, Pastor Mark. (laughs) No, it's not. It's a great verse. I cannot think of a greater epitaph at the end of life than this. I would love to have inscribed on my tombstone. I would love for somebody to be able to stand up and truthfully say at my memorial service, Mark served God's purpose in his own generation. And then he died. I mean, that's what life's all about, folks. Serving God's purpose from the day we were born until the day that we died. And may this be true in our lives, individually, and in our life as a congregation together. May we be all about God's purpose for His church.